Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Los Angeles. Everybody's pumped. It's fight night. All right. <laughs> Back at the improv after a week break. Thank you guys for being here. July 2nd, we'll be here Tuesday night. Special episode for the July 4th break. It's just going to be me and Emily Heller. We're doing an experiment. Just two people. We're going to see how it goes. We're going to try some new shit. Mix it up, keep it fresh, adapt, evolve, grow, cut things that don't work. <laughs> Crooked.com slash events. And there's new merch, store.crooked.com, shirts, hats, keychains, other items. No pants, you cannot get these pants. So Amy Klobuchar asked me where I got these pants, and I made a joke about I got them from Mike Pence's nightmare, which is like... <laughs> This is such a shitty joke, but not as bad as a Swalwell one, but not good. And um, uh, but but of course, like I don't want other people to have these pants. It's cool that I have these pants. I saw one of the queer eye guys uh, had pants that were similar, and I was like, "Fuck!" But I, then I actually looked, and they're fully sold out. So I don't care. All right, they're from Top Man. <laughs> oh. Also, we have released a Crooked Mini series called Pride on Screen. It's out now. It's a Crooked Mini. That's what we're calling these little docu-series that we're doing. Travell Anderson, who you've heard on this show, he's a director of culture and entertainment at Out Magazine. The series looks back at moments in TV and film that changed the course of LGBTQ history and representation in media. I was featured in one of the episodes. I talked about watching Ellen in high school. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, because I told it on that podcast. <laughs> Subscribe to Crooked Minis. Thank you. All right. Two debates, 20 candidates, many of whom deserve to be there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about the debates with our panel. I want to quiz some of you, especially the parts you did not see, because that'll be fun. Uh, but let's just run through. I'm going to try to go quickly through as many of the candidates as I can. Okay, which is all of them because I can do whatever I want. I'm 100% in charge of the timing of the show. All right, night one, Klobuchar. I think she did well. I thought she did well. And you know, she has a simple case, right? She makes it wherever she goes. She made it on the debate stage. She's practical. She can win the Midwest. She did that. And I thought she had like a great presence on stage. I didn't even need 20 seconds. Booker. So... Here's the thing about Cory Booker. I really like Cory Booker, and I actually think, you know, Marion Williamson talks about love, but Cory Booker has an argument about love that's a bit, let's say, more grounded. And I, I, just, wish, I just wish that that came out in his, some of his more specific answers, because it rarely does, and I feel like it's a missed opportunity. I'm going to do Tim Ryan pretty quick. Okay. 
I am very frustrated at people who fought so hard to be on that stage and then don't make the most of the opportunity and seem a little bit lost being up there because this is a fucking big decision we have to make together. And uh, I end of thought. Beto, I think he had some good moments. I think he had some rough moments. He didn't look happy up there. And for whatever reason, I think people have decided that there's no cost to going after Beto. So he kind of mixed it up with Julian Castro. De Blasio went after him. De Blasio from left. Beto's standing up there like, I'm fighting with fucking Bill De Blasio? What is my life? <laughs> that is the... Could we, there's not a more subtle noise to mark the end of 20 seconds when I'm actually successfully doing it. Julian Castro... You know, a lot of people were saying how good a job he did. I did think he, like, stood out in the sense that he made his presence on the debate stage known, though I don't know a lot of people totally understood the nuances of the debate they were having about immigration. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, Inslee, look, he can be on the debate stage. He can put on a baseball cap and play catch with me. I like him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> John Delaney. I don't know, man. What are you doing? At least John Delaney, though, was like making some kind of an argument, I guess, for being a moderate and existing. But like, I, I don't know. I want the numbers to winnow, and I might start there. Uh, Bill De Blasio, six foot something. Uh, so interesting. You know, he came to make a name for himself, and you know, at least he has a an argument for why he's running and why he's up there and he made the most of his time on that stage. And that's the nicest thing I've ever said about Bill de Blasio. Uh, <laughs> Tulsi and Tim Ryan mixing it up. Fascinating. What a helpful thing for choosing the Democratic nominee to have Tulsi Gabbard and Tim Ryan arguing on stage. <laughs> that was a good moment for her because I think she made Tim Ryan look very bad. Uh, and finally, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I know where you guys are. I know where you all are. When she spoke, people paid attention. Uh, and she has an argument for why she's up there and she made it successfully. She kind of disappeared in the final third of the debate, but I don't necessarily blame her for that, but I thought she had a good night. Okay, night two. Buttigieg. I thought he did well. I thought he did well. <laughs> I thought he had some really good moments. I think he, you know, handled a very hard question forthrightly. His China answer was good. He had a number of really strong answers, and I was impressed. Andrew Yang. The Yang Gang. $1,000. Got that across. Marion Williamson. <laughs> what will you do as president? I'll call New Zealand and say, you're fucked. <laughs> I'm the only one on this stage that understands that Donald Trump is using fear. No, you're not. What are you doing here? Eric Swalwell. Here's what I would like to do. I would like to find the writer who is vacuuming up discarded pieces of paper from the DNC in 1996 and then uh, using an iron to make them seem like kind of like flat and not crumpled and then giving them to Eric Swalwell. I would like that person to be fucking punished. Shame on Eric Swalwell for those sentences that I heard tonight. Sing-songy nonsense. Kamala Harris.
There were several moments during the debate tonight where I was genuinely stunned by the strength that Kamala Harris brought to this debate, sincerely. I thought it was an incredible performance. Um, Bernie Sanders, well, he, he knows what he came here to say. And he's gonna fucking say it. And he's gonna say it to your face. <laughs> but I, I think his closing was really strong. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, I am a fan of Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. I thought she had some good moments, but for the most part, she gave a lot of strong answers, but they always felt like they were kind of like orthogonal to the room somehow. Like she's giving her answers, but I don't know why she's giving them. I don't know how they fit into a larger reason for why she's standing on that stage. Michael Bennett. We were talking about this in our uh, group thread, which we've now put on YouTube because we're content machines. And as Dan pointed out, he's the only person that hates Mitch McConnell more than Dan, which is very cool. Uh, <laughs> Governor Hickenlooper. You know, I like Hickenlooper. I like him. But, you know, if you're going to come up there and say your argument is going to be against socialism, make the argument. But it always feels like a mix of, like, I'm the optimistic guy who knows how to get things done. Plus, we cannot talk about socialism. It's a little bit weird. It's weird. I don't get it. But I still like him. I don't care. He's very positive, has a brewery. <laughs> and Joe Biden, I don't know, you know, there was a very uh, rough moment between him and uh, Senator Harris during the debate, and I think that that is something that will come back to him. I don't know that he has a great answer to that quote, that gaffe, where he said that, don't worry, rich people, things will not fundamentally change. That said, I think, for the most part, I don't think he did terribly, I don't think he did incredibly well. I think it was sort of status quo ante for him. And those are the candidates. Now, how are we doing? Okay. Can you believe that there's only 400 more of these debates? <laughs> we have a great show for you tonight. We have an awesome panel. She's a longtime activist who created the first legal project in the United States dedicated to addressing gender discrimination against farm worker women, and she was monumental in sparking the Time's Up movement. Please welcome Monica Ramirez. Hi, Monica. How you, do, how you doing? All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you. That was like a totally fine thing that wasn't like awe-worthy, you know? Like, <laughs> it was fine. Thank you for appreciating me. I don't know why they just patronized you in that way. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping you guys on your toes. I made this weird. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Keep going. She's the host of Yo Is This Racist and one of our favorite guests. Please welcome back Tawny Newsom. Hi. Hi. Oh my goodness, favorite guest. You honor me, sir. You honor me with this favorite status. It's a lot to live up to. One of. Okay, I'm not going to try now. <laughs> He's a comedian and an Emmy and Peabody winning writer for The Daily Show, Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, Black Monday, and many more. Please welcome back Trayvon Free. Hey, Trayvon. What up, man? How are you? Hello, everybody. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good. All right. <laughs> Let's get into it. What a week. It's happened. The 2020 Democratic primary is finally over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Night one, Elizabeth Warren. 
I, there's no even need to finish the sentence. <laughs> Julian Castro and Bill de Blasio made a name for themselves by coming out swinging at Beto. We saw John Delaney audition to be Howard Schultz's Secretary of the Interior. <laughs> Then, night two, Kamala Harris gave impassioned answers on child separation, and she went after Biden on his comments about busing. We saw Mayor Pete take responsibility for a police shooting in South Bend, and we saw Marion Williamson chug a green juice and scream, chemtrails are real. <laughs> I want to issue a small disclaimer right now. There are people that tweet at me that get mad when we make these kinds of jokes, and I want you to know that I hear you. And deep down, I know that there's some truth to what you're saying. So I will only say that I do think there is some value to the point she makes about answering Trump's fear with love. I do not believe she is the messenger for that argument. And I do not believe she provided very many sophisticated answers on things like prescription drug costs. But I do think that there is value to that being a part of the debate of someone saying, let's step back for a minute and look at the deeper emotional cues that Trump has been invoking for the past several years and make sure we don't lose sight of that. So I don't think she should be the messenger for our party, but I do think that that's a message that should infuse what we ultimately do as a party. So I will say that only to make the jokes more, you know, justified. <laughs> what a weird set of critics to answer. My mentions are a cesspool, but that's the one I grabbed onto. I don't know why. Yeah. Tawny. Oh, no. <laughs> Any surprises from the first night of the debate? Yeah, like, who are half of these people? <laughs> More tonight, though. Like, I think I had seen every person's name <laughs> last night. Tonight, when Bennett came out, I audibly said, who is that man? And a woman next to me goes, I know, right? He's not doing anything. And I was like, no, miss, I mean, literally, who is that man? <laughs> Um, and you know, people like Williamson, yeah, she's a wild card. She's a whirling dervish talking about chemtrails and love and whatnot. But you know, frankly, I'm here for this Marianne Faithful song. I'm into it. I'll listen to it. I'll put it on repeat because this whole thing is a circus. So sometimes when there's at least a fun clown who's got like a, a warm message, who's not Joe Biden, who looks like an angry baked chicken yelling at me about how he has so many black friends. I'm like, I get it, man, civil rights, I hear you. I'm like, everyone's insane, so I'll take it. I'll take Williamson, I'll go to brunch with her. Akilah Hughes, friend of the show, tweeted, Marianne Williamson is what happens when an Instagram influencer gets old. <laughs> it's a good joke. See why I did the caveat earlier? <laughs> One more point on that, too. You know, there was a moment between Michael Bennett, who is a great senator, and Joe Biden on fighting Mitch McConnell, when to compromise with Mitch McConnell. And it's interesting that, you know, when you get through all the kind of questions about what you do as president, especially questions that are like, what would you do as president, ignoring the fact that getting things through a Congress is going to be incredibly hard no matter what happens, that that little argument as to whether or not Joe Biden was correct in describing his victory in negotiating with Mitch McConnell was actually incredibly important because that is actually like the nuts and bolts of what will ultimately happen. But of course, Michael Bennett is doing it as a very good senator, but not a presidential candidate people have been particularly drawn to. I don't have a really larger point there, just something I noted. <laughs> I didn't have a point other than, like, I don't, I don't know who this man is. No, I know. No, I, I, it's just an interesting thing, the difference between what makes someone an, an excellent and effective senator and what, what we expect and want from a presidential candidate as someone we expect to do more than just be a legislator. We're not picking a prime minister. It is different. Just and a thought. 
and half of these people, I mean, more than half, I'm not even looking at as like what would make a good president because some of them just have to be scraps on like a, the uh, when you're making a dress, right? You cut out the pattern. So many of them are just the extra fabric that you yeah. then make your Halloween costume out of later, right? And, yes, and some of them are the Chanel pink dress uh-huh. that Marge sewed 50 million fucking times yes. into different shapes just to kind of stay fresh. <laughs> exactly. I like these references. Um <laughs> But uh, so some of them I'm just looking at to like offset the energy and to set the stage for stronger candidates to actually like make good points. Because if we didn't have Gillibrand saying things the way she was saying them and kind of, you know, generating this general ire on Twitter about people being like, oh, I don't like the way she's saying whatever. I don't know. Maybe that wouldn't lay uh, the proper groundwork for someone like Kamala to say kind of similar things just in a better package. Right. So it's kind of all, uh, I don't know, it's a big organism of crazies. You compare people. That's what it's for, ultimately. And maybe it's not through the mechanism of them arguing, but you do see how they perform on a stage like that, and one of them will have to stand on a stage like that with Donald Trump. Monica! Hi. (laughs) What did you think of the uh, debates? What was the biggest moment that stood out to you? Well, there were several. First of all, that was the most Spanish that I've heard from candidates. that. Um, But also, I thought that it was really important that the last two days they spent a significant amount of time talking about the border crisis and what's actually going to happen on immigration, because that's certainly taking up a lot of our attention and it needs to be addressed. It was a lot of people to hear from. Some of them, I wish, had talked a little bit more about what they're doing right now today to address the border crisis, because, you know, waiting until people get elected to be president is too long. So I wish there had been a little bit more conversation about real people's lives and how they're fixing people's lives today. Uh, but, you know, lots of Spanish. <laughs> Can we, let's talk about that for a second. I'm of two minds on this. And on the one hand, I think to myself, what does learning Spanish phrases do to prove that you actually fulfill the promise, that you actually mean what you say, right? It's a way of demonstrating your sincerity on an issue. But on the other hand, I don't know, I can't speak to what it is like to experience candidates trying to do that and trying to reach an audience with Spanish. So what what do you think? Well, I I actually, I did appreciate that people were trying to reach the Spanish-speaking community because that's not something that we've heard in, in other debates. But it is a question of what will they actually do for the community. And we have to acknowledge the fact that uh, there are many immigrants that are trying to come into our country who are not Spanish speakers. So there should have been some more discussion about that. So yes, speak to the Latinx vote in this country, some of whom are Spanish speakers, some of who are not. But let's talk about what, when it comes down to it, what are you going to do for all immigrants and how are we going to make things better for everyone? Yeah, I think that's right. And to me... The strongest and most impassioned answer on immigration in two nights came from Kamala Harris, who didn't use a word of Spanish to deliver that argument. When she talks, half of America hears Spanish anyway, so... (laughs) They just see her face and they're like, she's probably something, right? (laughs) (laughs) What? America's racist? That's the joke. (laughs) (laughs) She's probably something. Trayvon, <laughs> who fucked up the most? Who really shit the bed? I think Inslee kind of shit the bed a little bit when he pretended to be the biggest feminist on the stage next to three women. I mean, the fucking nerve. <laughs> <laughs> that, that resonated with a section of the feminist yeah, audience. right here. These are my ladies. I brought them with me. These are my crew right here. Um, I thought that was pretty tone deaf. Beto uh, went Spanish really early. Well, I would have... <laughs> I would have kept that in my pocket a little longer. 
I mean, the best part of that was like Cory Booker looked at him like he forgot he left his kid in the car with the windows rolled up. That was like the look he had on his face. It's like, oh shit, there's something I was supposed to do. Um, <laughs> but Cory Booker, what we later learned is Cory Booker was staring at me like, you motherfucker, I'm going to speak Spanish too. <laughs> I don't, Corey, and you did it at the top, but I'm going to save for an immigration answer. That was my plan. You're fucking Corey, with Cory Booker's plan. Cory's like, I wasted a hundred bucks on Rosetta Stone. For what? <laughs> for what? Just fucking undercut me. I can't return the app. I can't return it. But, uh... <laughs> And I thought de Blasio playing the Black Sun car was pretty strange. I mean, come on. This is probably the first time a white man running for president could brag about having a Black Sun that he didn't own. Everywhere go. <laughs> too soon. 200 years. Too soon. All right. What are you ooing exactly? <laughs> Ooh, our history. Our nation's past. <laughs> Don't confront us with it sometimes. <laughs> We're not expecting it. Warn us. Warn us. <laughs> We're white in Hollywood, be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but then I would also go with all the people who I just don't even know who they are. That's pretty shitting the bed. Like, I mean, when you said Michael Bennett, I thought you were talking about the football player. That's how little <laughs> I know <laughs> about Michael Bennett. <laughs> I liked the camera angles. We got a lot of side-eye from these camera <laughs> angles. We got when Swalwell jumped in to Buttigieg tonight and was like, why don't you fire the police chief then? And like, essentially shoved him in the chest a little bit. <laughs> And Buttigieg just shot back this, motherfucker, you gonna... I was like, oh, yes, I am here. So first of all, Swalwell interrupts Mayor Pete to say, we need generational change, which was clearly the line Swalwell had prepped to use after Biden, but he's like, I gotta jump in. I'm Eric Swalwell. If I don't start talking now, I won't exist. <laughs> I literally stop existing if I don't talk soon. I vanish. So then later to come back and tell him how to be the mayor of South Bend, Indiana in that moment. Like, you're just a guy with sound bites on the end of the stage getting ready for a book deal. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it would be cool if Rachel had a button she could push and they just fall beneath their podium. <laughs> like, when it's just like, enough. Yeah, like in Nothing But Trouble. Enough. Yeah, yeah. Right. We need Dan Aykroyd in Nothing But Trouble to press a button and eat a weird hot dog. <laughs> that actually would have been more fun. Too specific? <laughs> <laughs> you broke him. <laughs> Unpopular opinion, the film Nothing But Trouble, starring Demi Moore, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, and John Candy, many of whom in several very weird roles, is actually good. Wow. Did I lose this debate? Talk about your black son. Talk about your black son. I am the only person on this stage who is both gay and raising a golden doodle. <laughs> and I want to know when I look into that beautiful golden doodle's eyes that I left her a world with places for her to run, with kibble for her to eat. Three best facial expressions of the two nights were Cory Booker staring at Beto when he spoke Spanish, Cory Booker looking at Bill de Blasio when he said black son. Like, I am black. I am physically, actually a black man in America. And when Mayor Pete looked like at Eric Swalwell, like he wanted to rip his fucking head from his body. 
<laughs> and Swalwell just responded with like a fortune cookie, being like, if you want what's right, Swalwell's the fight, or whatever. <laughs> We're like, did someone just power you on? What's happened? Mayor Pete's look at Eric Swalwell in that moment was really a moment where I can, I can see that guy at a big desk with a big job, you know? Because that look was, it was a big look from a small town mayor. I watched it in a gay bar in West Hollywood, and when I walked in, I was overwhelmed at everyone's energy and like passion because I had just been like at work all day. I ate a salad during a vocal recording booth, like on mic. I shoved a salad in my mouth today, so I was like not fully prepared to walk into like full on Kamala for the people, you know, Buttigieg crowd, Bros for America, this whole vibe. I walked in there and I immediately got swept up. Within 10 seconds of drinking my one vodka soda, I found myself shouting at the screen, get him, sis. <laughs> Wasn't even for Kamala. I was, just, I was just like, yeah, girl. I was like, what am I doing? What have I become? You know what's funny about that? Get him, sis, feels appropriate in order. Uh, <laughs> Kamala, Mayor Pete, Gillibrand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. You know? Yeah, I, yeah. I probably said it at everyone. Didn't Bernie seem really angry the whole time? Like it's, that's his brand. He's just I like think found this, but like angrier than normal. Like he found out there was like four guys with all the money instead of three. <laughs> like there's a fourth guy. <laughs> I think it's look. I think it is frustrating to be Bernie. You know, Bernie gave an interview to NPR that I thought was very revealing about where his head is at. Where he was basically asked, you know, four years ago you were seen as this insurgent outsider. Four years later, so many candidates have adopted the positions that were seen as outside the mainstream so recently. Don't you think that's maybe made it less of a reason for you to be in the race? And he goes, less of a reason for me to be in the race, less of a reason for them to be in the race. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, fair point. Honestly, I see that. That makes, I see why that makes sense. So I get the anger. I kind of get it, but it also smacks of this, like, I was doing this back before it was cool, you know, walked four miles in the snow type of a vibe that's off-putting to people. So I, I, get, I get both sides, why people are annoyed with him and want him to not be there. But, I mean, maybe he does have a lot of experience in it. And now he knows how black people feel about Kim Kardashian. Sometimes people take what's yours. It's appropriation, man. It's going to call it what it is. That is fascinating. (laughs) When we come back, okay, stop. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. This podcast is brought to you by Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Americans United defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms and even democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. While Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs, Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU's work at au.org slash crooked. That's au.org slash crooked. And we're back. Now it's time for OK Stop. We'll roll a clip and the panel can say OK Stop at any point to comment. Vice President Mike Pence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
A man who shares a resting facial expression with Lieutenant Coffee in the film The Abyss when he's trying to pretend he's fine even though the high pressure has fucked up his brain and he's secretly cutting his arm under the table while planning to nuke the beautiful sea creatures sat down with Jake Tapper to discuss climate change and the current situation at the border. All right, so this video covers a very tough subject, but we thought it was important to discuss. Let's roll the clip. We have money to give toothpaste and soap and blankets to these kids in this facility in El Paso County right now. We Well, of of course we do. So why aren't we? My my point is, it's all a part of the appropriations process. Congress needs to provide additional support to deal with the crisis at our southern border. But we've got to get to the root causes. We've got to close the loophole. I just want to say I really fucking hate this dude. All right. Um, Continue. (laughs) It's also just, you know, Congress right now is passing funding for the border. But, of course, Mike Pence is avoiding the question, which is, couldn't you have fixed this problem already? Which the answer is yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, you know, I think people don't realize we're not talking about the fact that they're leaving the lights on all night long at these facilities, which is really impacting these children. They can turn the lights off and buy toothpaste. Okay? They don't need to be wasting money on things, and they shouldn't have them there in the first place, but if they're going to have them there, they should do things that make sense to keep these children safe and well. Yeah, no excuse. If anybody knows how bad it is to be separated from mother, it should be Mike Pence. (laughs) Smart crowd are using to entice vulnerable families to take the long and dangerous journey Yeah, and I'm not, journey I'm not taking issue north. with any of that. I'm talking about the kids I mean, in our custody right here, now. Just listen to this. This is the New Yorker Jake, Jake, citing a team of lawyers who Jake, just visited Jake, a Jake, here's, here's the hard fact. As yeah. I say, I'll answer your I question. I just want to read this quote. The conditions here, the lawyers found were shocking. Flu and lice outbreaks were going untreated. Children were filthy, sleeping on cold floors, taking care of each other because of the lack of attention from guards. I know you. You're a father. You're a man of faith. You can't approve of that. Okay, stop. I, I mean, this is tried and... I mean, we, we've heard this enough. I'm not original in saying this, but I'm so sick of anyone saying, like, you're a father or you're a parent or you're a person who has a neighbor. Like, you don't have to be anything to understand human suffering and to want to alleviate it. You don't have to be a parent. So I just don't even like them feeding into that rhetoric. Like, but you gave birth to a child, so you believe the children deserve soap? I, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I hate the general framing when someone says, like, as a father of daughters, I believe women are human beings. Like, where were you before? <laughs> On the it's fence. A, and it's a classic. And it's a, like when like Rob Portman discovered that gay people deserve equal rights because he had a gay son. I always wonder, like, OK, so having a personal experience with an issue showed you that you needed to be more compassionate on an important subject and that you were wrong on an area of dogma. Have you considered applying that reasoning to other issues, perhaps imagining what it might be like (laughs) to know a trans person or an immigrant who's struggling (laughs) to get to a place where they're safe? And so that is very frustrating. I will say, though, Uh, Jake Tapper is such a tough and good interviewer in moments like this, and it's when he is at his absolute best. And I know we we make fun of CNN a lot, but this is when CNN, I think, is incredibly valuable, as this has been during these town halls. And that's it. You know, I just want to, you know, throw a compliment their way, you know? (laughs) Enjoy it. I agree. I I just want to say, as a mother only to an elderly cat and a floundering career, I shouldn't care about any of you bitches, but... (laughs) I do. 
no American should approve of this mass influx of people coming. Okay, stop. Motherfucker. It is incredible that he feels he needs to dodge a question that says, don't you feel something for these kids? Don't you feel that it's wrong? And he is so afraid to actually say that because of the position he is in, because of the choices he's made in his life to associate himself with these people. And... uh, Reminder that they believe cruelty is a weapon. They believe cruelty is a weapon in the immigration fight. It hasn't worked. It hasn't stemmed the tide of asylum seekers one bit, but they still believe it. It's an article of faith that at some point they will make things so miserable for parents and children trying to escape desperation that it will show itself in the numbers. But, of course, it hasn't, so it's been cruelty for its own sake. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the numbers, actually, if you look at the numbers across the board, uh, immigration into the United States has actually been down, and this problem is not a problem that's going to end anytime soon. Because the mothers who I've spoken to in Mexico, who are on their way to the United States, and the women who I've represented throughout my career, are fleeing with their children in their arms. Some of them walked over 2,000 miles with their small children because they're trying to save their lives. And I think anyone in this country or otherwise, would do the same thing if they were in that position. So they need to stop using these arguments to try to make it seem like, you know, if we just take away the soap and the toothpaste, then maybe they'll stop coming. There has been a rise in asylum seekers along the border, even as overall undocumented attempts to cross the borders down. Is that what's happening? That's what's happening, because we're seeing more, um, particularly women and children who are leaving um, their countries in in Central America because there have been so many threats against their lives, attempts to have daughters um, become boyfriends to gang members. You know, I've talked to people who have told me about how they've seen people shot dead in front of them and threatened to give, you know, payments to people or else they're going to be shot dead as well. So people are fleeing because of gender-based violence against them. They're fleeing because they're trying to save their children from being pushed into gangs. And um, and also, we're not talking enough about the fact that people are fleeing because of climate change. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that people are leaving. And um, that we're not having a full enough conversation. And so for Pence to talk about human trafficking, let's talk about the human trafficking that's being caused because they're sending people back over the border. And out of desperation, they're trying to find places to stay. And in the process, they're being trafficked. There's so many, there's so many different uh, complexities to this conversation. And the fact that he's trying to water it down and make it sound like by scaring people away, they're just going to stay away, it really takes for granted the intelligence of people in this country and the fact that no matter what, people are going to do what they need to do to stay alive, and I don't blame them. Let's leave it there. That's okay. Stop. We come back. We're going to play a game about polls. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking... Try not to fuck up the glass. Tillamook ice cream. Extraordinary dairy. And we're back. (laughs) Polls. Everyone's obsessed with tracking them, but deep down, no one really trusts that they work. They're like a Fitbit for politics. (laughs) I'm going to make an aside here. Yeah, your problem is a lack of data. The collective delusion that we're one fact away from cracking this thing is bullshit. We all know the problem isn't not getting our steps. The problem is willpower doesn't apply at night 
around snack time. <laughs> so I had some people over at my house. It happened to be John's birthday. So Emily brought a sheet cake that she made, okay? And in New York, people eat the whole birthday cake. In LA, they do not. Uh, it's, just, it's just a fact of cakes. You need twice as much cake per person in New York as you do in LA. I say that as a proud bi-coastal American. And uh, um, a group that receives no attention... Uh, but anyway three quarters of a sheet cake were left at my home after everyone had left and a really dark moment I'm just going to use this time a really dark moment came when I just admitted to myself that I no longer needed to pretend and just cut little bits with you know you cut little bits with the knife and I just put that knife in the sink and I got myself a fucking fork (laughs) Point is, earlier this week, before Bill de Blasio yelled his way into the primary conversation, Crooked Media, alongside with the folks at Change Research, released our first poll. We polled almost 1,000 Democratic primary voters from Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and what we found was pretty interesting. Our overall numbers are consistent with other polls. Biden is on top with 29%. This is the first pre-debate poll. Sanders and Warren are neck and neck at 20 and 19%. Buttigieg at 14. Everyone else at 5 or below. But among those who are paying the closest attention, Warren is in the lead. Um, threw that in for you. Uh, we also polled on impeachment and found that overall 83% of Democrats support impeachment, 52% strongly. This was interesting. 57% of those who support impeachment would be willing to vote for a candidate who voted not to impeach Trump, while 91% of those who oppose impeachment would vote for someone who voted to impeach Trump. So being for impeachment among Democrats is a less risky choice than being against it, according to these numbers, these fresh hot numbers. Uh, In order to dive deep into these polls, I want to play a game with our panel called Polar Coaster Tycoon. Each question will be framed slightly differently, and the three of you will have to duke it out for the correct answers. Feel free to let us in on your thought process. Okay? Trayvon, you ready? I'm ready. Tani, you ready? I'm here. Monica? Okay. Question one, we polled on how active Democratic voters are on Twitter. Without going over, what percentage of Democratic voters that we polled use Twitter at least once per day? 130%. Trayvon, what do you think? 32%. Monica? 77%. Uh, 15%. 15%. 70% of respondents say they never use Twitter. Twitter is not real life. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) If it was like every five minutes, the worst people in the world would come through and say, somebody wanted you to see this. Somebody wanted you to see this. (laughs) Question two. We asked over 600 people what word they would use to describe better or work. Family feud style, what were the top three responses? (laughs) Somebody's dad. Cool. No. (laughs) Top three responses were young, unknown, and okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Is heartbreaking. Well, there goes my memoir title. Well, yeah. (laughs) Follow-up question. What is the most common word used to describe Bernie Sanders? (laughs) 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 
I don't know how you write that, but... For bonus points, you have to spell that. I know. What do you think? Old. You got it, you got it. 88 people said old, and the next most common was socialist with 24 votes. I'm sorry, if like the top two adjectives for me one day are just old socialist, I'm good with that. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, so shut up. <laughs> Question three. We asked people who said they were not satisfied with the current candidates running why that was the case. Which of the following is a real answer? A, no one is looking at the total picture. B, we need a strong middle-of-the-road candidate, a known name like Joe Kennedy. C, most politicians are lying sacks of shit who don't give a fuck about the American people and will say anything to make us happy while backstabbing us to make a quick buck. Or D, because. C seems kind of promising. Which ones are real? B sounds real. B B sounded real. B did sound real. Trayvon and I agree. What do you think? I think people think C. You're all right. They're all real. (laughs) Question four. Of everyone polled, a single person chose Bill de Blasio (laughs) as their top choice. He's a man from South Carolina. When asked why he supports Bill de Blasio, what was his answer? Keep in mind, keep in mind, though, these are people who plan on voting in the Democratic Party. What was the reason a single voter in South Carolina chose Bill de Blasio? He thought it said Bill Murray. Monica, what do you think? I'm going to go with D, because. (laughs) (laughs) Tani, what do you think? Um, Yeah, they thought it was a character from the Music Man. I don't know. (laughs) Answer. (laughs) The answer was they thought he was most likely to lose to Trump. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) That's what gets you? (laughs) And that's Polar Coaster Tycoon. When we come back, we're going to quiz the audience on the second debate. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I think I'm confused before we come back. Those were people who listened to your shows. <laughs> no, those are just Americans in South Carolina, New Hampshire, and Iowa who just are Democratic a, primary voters. A random poll, but that person wanted Trump to win. It seems. All right. I, listen, it was the one person, and his reason is bad. <laughs> and we're back! <laughs> Less than an hour ago, the second night of the first Democratic debate ended just as the audience here was filing in to the improv. That means none of you weird, politically obsessed love veterans <laughs> have any idea of what happened during the debate. Some, okay, I know you have phones. <laughs> but for those of you who couldn't watch, I bet it's eating you alive. I bet you're all jonesing for the political goods the way Donald Trump Jr. joneses for more camo gear and the love of a father figure. If an older man in a Yankees hat with a baseball mitt asks Donald Trump Jr. to play catch, he comes. John. I had to hide my body as I said it. (laughs) Well, I want to fill you in on all the fun from tonight in a game we're calling... Is John Hickenlooper allowed to use that word? Uh, 
Here's how it works. Lightning round. I'm going to read a list of things that may or may not have happened. If they really happened in the debate, you say real. If they didn't, you say fake. Would someone out there like to play the game? Hi, what's your name? I'm Chip. Chip? Yes, like potato or chocolate. <laughs> this is going to be exhausting. All right. <laughs> All right, Chip. Is that what it says on the birth certificate? It says no. something else like James. It says Charles. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Charles, are you a second or a third? No. Okay, good. I'm All right. One. Uh, He's a California Highway Patrolman. That's what <laughs> All right, Chip. Some of these are real, some of these are fake. Michael Bennett gave a passionate ode to the Statue of Liberty. True. Yes. Biden, upon noticing that the white candidates were grouped on one side of the stage, made a segregation joke. False. False. Buttigieg followed Kamala's big applause with an impassioned plea for soil management. True. True. In an effort to capitalize on Bill de Blasio's good performance from night one, Kamala Harris announced that she was also a huge fan of ska. False. Correct. Williamson was asked what her top priority of elected would be, and she promised to make the U.S. a better place to raise a kid than New Zealand. True. Yes. Biden was asked what his top priority would be if elected, and his answer was beating Trump. True. Yes. Biden disappeared from behind his podium when no one expected it, popped up behind Kamala Harris. <laughs> false. True. Uh, false, yeah, correct. <laughs> Sanders gave Buttigieg a handful of old Werther's originals. <laughs> false. False. Biden was twice accused of not raising his hand by the moderator when he did, in fact, raise his hand. True. True. Marion Williamson refused to say whether or not she believed in ghosts. True. No, false. <laughs> Kamala said, I don't call it climate change, I call it a climate crisis, and then immediately called it climate change. True. True. <laughs> I, Andrew Yang spoke passionately about the threat of job loss from automation and said that if this debate were in 2024, they'd all be robots. False. False. Michael Bennett was really surprised when he was called on. <laughs> True. True. Williamson said we have deep, deep, deep realms of racism. Three deeps? Three deeps. True. True. Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> Pete Buttigieg spoke Arabic, then said that the most important world language is actually compassion. False. False. <laughs> Swalwell tried to answer the wrong question, and the moderator shouted, no. True. <laughs> True. Gillibrand did a fake laugh to give herself time to consider a tough question from Lester Holt on her previous position on guns, but then for some reason it slowly became a cry and then screaming. False. False. Pete Buttigieg didn't mention being gay once, but for some reason Eric Swalwell explicitly clarified that he wasn't. True. No. Marion Williamson said, the one thing keeping us from beating Donald Trump is all of these plans. True. True. Harris told a story that ended with, and that little girl was me. True. True. Bernie Sanders said, the greatest threat we face is the greed of the billionaire class. We need a leader who's willing to crush it like I crushed that bird that landed on my podium. <laughs> False. When answering a complicated question about race, Biden stopped himself mid-sentence and said, my time's up, I'm sorry. True. Ber <laughs> Bernie Sanders sneezed so loud that it was silent for five seconds after. False. Correct. Gillibrand said, quote, the debate we are having in our party right now is confusing. True. True. Chip, you've won the game. And a parachute gift card. Everybody give it up for Chip. When we come back, the rant wheel.
Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. And we're back. Now it's time for the rant wheel. You know how it works. We spin a wheel, we rant on the topic it lands upon. This week on the wheel, we have the therapist in Big Little Lies, <laughs> TV film criticism online, candidate comfort foods, border crisis, Kim K's shapewear, quote, I learned Spanish, end quote, Duncan Hunter, and Instagram influencer engagement. Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on the therapist on Big Little Lies. <laughs> Why even have it? <laughs> so I'm going to let you guys behind the curtain. It has, it has actually landed on I Learn Spanish, but I feel as though we covered that a bit earlier. Now, I've decided I wanted to have landed on therapist on Big Little Lies. I want to talk about the therapist on Big Little Lies, and I'm going to try to bring it back to candidates speaking Spanish on stage, but I made it my nun. All right. I don't think she's a good therapist. Uh, she's very aggressive. She's very aggressive, and she's forcing people into deeply uncomfortable and personal moments in front of each other. There was, I do not think she is helping Reese Witherspoon's marriage at all. Nicole Kidman had a full fucking breakdown in there, and like, listen, I don't know how therapy works, all right? If I did, I wouldn't have this show. This is my therapy. <laughs> but she's way too calm when Nicole Kidman starts screaming at something in her imagination. <laughs> Another point on Big Little Lies. Some people thought I was being uh, uh, critical of Big Little Lies in a previous rant on this show during a segment called Gay News, which I forgot to introduce because technically this is gay news. Gay news. Big Little Lies season two is the shock of the summer. It is so fucking good. Meryl Streep, good. Lot happening in the first three episodes. Good. Episode two, a lot of drama, a lot of changes. I'm here for it. Episode three, is this funny now? I'm here for that too. <laughs> they only go to Meryl Streep for full-blown Shakespearean fucking racing stripe down the script page monologues. <laughs> it is fucking incredible. And I would say roughly 75% of the monologues are just roasts of Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> and what a joy that is for Reese Witherspoon. She has this show called Big Little Lies. All of a sudden, Meryl Streep shows up. She's acting across from the most nominated woman in the history of the Oscars. And it's just hilariously bitchy rants about her character. That's cool as hell. Here's the thing about candidates speaking Spanish on stage. <laughs> Jokes aside, no, Jokes included. So much of what these debates are about are about proving that Democrats really, really, really mean it this time because I think so many Democrats have felt let down in the past. And so 
It's why all these stories begin with, here's what I learned when I was a kid. This is something that's personal to me. All of that comes back to this basic idea of proving that you aren't just a, a collection of policies, but you're the Democrat who's really going to fight, who's really going to follow all the way through. And deciding to speak Spanish on stage is a little bit a part of that, of demonstrating that you really care, that you really mean it. But you know, there are other ways to demonstrate that you really care and that you really mean it. And one of them is by having a very coherent argument as to why you're running for president, why you'll beat Donald Trump, and what you'll actually do when you're elected, given the limits of our system and the challenges you'll face. And only a few of the candidates are actually doing that. And so, to Monica's point, like I do understand why, to someone who's not me, to someone who hasn't heard a candidate speak Spanish to them in the past, it might mean something. And I take that point. I sincerely do. But to me, part of the problem is also it's performative. It's a show of learning a few phrases to send a message. And I just think this is a bigger moment than that. This is the most important primary in our lifetimes. This is the most important choice we're ever going to make. I don't want gimmicks. I don't want fucking Swalwell sound bites. I want someone to stand up there and be honest about where we're at right now and why they are the person. We are coming together to make a choice to pick the person to represent us in the most important presidential election of our lives. We ca if we lose this election, it is more than just twice the damage of Donald Trump. It is more, and it is heartbreaking. And so when I see someone bust into Spanish to make a moment of the debate, I think it is beneath the scale of what these debates are supposed to represent. And one other thing, Laura Dern, fucking <laughs> hilarious. An absolute delight. Laura Dern, comedic actress, sure. Why the fuck not? Let's spin it again. It has landed on TV and film criticism online, suggested by Trayvon. I'm going to take this one. If you have a cell phone or a Twitter account, you're not a fucking TV critic. Watching Game of Thrones was so fucking annoying this last season, watching everybody with their fucking armchair dramatizing, talking about how good the show was, it was fine. It was fine. These guys gave you the red wedding. Hold the fucking door. You, thank you. Light of the Seven, fucking Battle of the Bastards. Just fucking relax. If you're not Emily Nussbaum, if you're not fucking Roger Ebert, rest in peace, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, watch the show. You don't get to decide how it ends. People work really hard to make really great content for you guys, like John and this lovely podcast. And see how I pander to you a little bit? And I, and um, I, and I love it. And that's my rant, shut the fuck up, watch the show. Counterpoint, I'm not. <laughs> Let's spin it again. It has landed on the border crisis. Monica, this was your suggestion. I do want to rant about the border crisis, and I want to rant about something that I think a lot of people ignored. So last night during the debates, there was uh, breaking news around the fact that a temporary restraining order has been filed by attorneys that are involved in upholding the Flores Agreement, which is to ensure that the children in detention are being treated um, with care. 
And many, many people missed this. And what they missed in this moment of the filing is that some of the transcripts were released, which shared what some of the hundreds of children said when they were being interviewed. And for those of you who know anything about my work and know what's important to me, what's important to me is passing the mic to people who can't be heard. And right now, I'm incredibly privileged to be holding this mic, and I want you to hear from these children. So. Female, age 16. We slept on mats on the floor, and they gave us aluminum blankets. They took our baby's diapers, baby formula, and all of our belongings. Our clothes were still wet, and we were very cold, so we got sick. I've been in the U.S. for six days, and I've never been offered a shower or been able to brush my teeth. There's no soap, and our clothes are dirty. They've never been washed. Three days ago, my baby soiled his clothes. I had no place to wash the clothes, so I could not put them back on my baby because when he went to the bathroom, his poop came out of his diaper and all over his clothing. Since then, my baby, of only three months, has only been wearing a small little jacket made of a t-shirt. Male, age 17. I am in a room with dozens of other boys. Some have been as young as three or four years old. Some cry. Right now, there is a 12-year-old who cries a lot. Others try to comfort him. One of the officers make fun of those who cry. Female, age 16. We are in a metal cage with 20 other teenagers, with babies and young children. We have one mat we need to share with each other. It is very cold. We each get a Mylar blanket, but it's not enough to warm up. There are benches, but we cannot sleep there. Sometimes it is so crowded we cannot find a place to sleep so they allow a few of us to sleep outside the fenced area. The lights are on all of the time. Male, age 12. I'm hungry here at Clint all of the time. I'm so hungry that I've woken up in the middle of the night with hunger. Sometimes I wake up from hunger at 4 a.m., sometimes at other hours. I'm too scared to ask the officials here for any more food, even though there is not enough food here for me. There are thousands of children right now who are living in these circumstances who should not be caged, who should not be detained, who should be with their families, who are fighting for their lives, who deserve every single comfort that every single one of us have. We have a moral responsibility to use our privilege to pass the mic to allow them to be heard. And I'm asking every single one of you in this room and listening to take action, to speak up, and to join us on July 2nd when mass mobilizations will be planned across the country. Sign up at closethecampsnow.org. There is no moment, there is no time to stand on the sidelines, and we cannot wait for another person to be elected president to stop what's happening on our border. Monica, can you say the, say the website one more time? The website where you can all go get more information and sign up to join us in calling for the closure of these camps is closethecampsnow.org. Closethecampsnow.org. All right. Thank you, Monica. Thanks for sharing that. Let's spin it again. <laughs> it, 
It has let now. This is like this, this is, is perfect. <laughs> this is morning television level transitioning from like when this is takes someone like Katie Couric decades of training to go from a very heart wrenching and important story to like a celebrity recipe for pancakes, <laughs> and I don't have it mastered. Do you think that I do? <laughs> well, here was my thinking. My thinking was that this very interchange uh-huh. was giving us the space it would serve to as like give a... enough respect and space yep. to what Monica said, which is so incredibly important, while also creating the space to transition it to something lighter, which is also part of this show. And I think we've done it. Okay. By lighter, you mean very stupid and irrelevant, because that's what I'm about to talk about. It has landed on Kim K's shapewear. <laughs> Take it away, Tawny. You know, John, I want to thank you for giving me the space to come on this show and talk about things that are close to my heart. That After following someone incredible like Monica, like none of this matters. Kim K came out with her shapewear. Uh, one of the things that stuck with me was that she said it was hard for me to find shapewear uh, that was my skin tone. And my immediate thought was like, yeah, bitch, you haven't seen your skin tone in 10 years. So, of course, it was hard to find it. You don't know what it is. Um, but who cares? She's a celebrity. She made a product. You know, celebrities are great at teaching us new ways to hate our bodies. Great. I want my shapewear to come from a woman I've never seen. I want to just be an anonymous Betty Crocker type figure. A Lorna Dune, perhaps. You know, a, a Susie Cakes. What are those called? Betty J Cakes? Yeah, that's exactly what they're called. They're called Betty J Cakes. Shut up. Whatever. I want a fictitious, I want a Mrs. Buttersworth unitard that goes underneath my summer dress. I don't want a woman that I see everywhere selling me how to have a smaller waist. Um, uh, so aside from all that is the issue with the name. Of course, she named it uh, Kimono, which she says was just like a fun play on her name. Just like a fun play on words. I wonder where she heard that before. I, yeah, I don't know. Who knows where she heard that word before? Um, and who knows where she got the idea to trademark it. So she is trademarking the word kimono. In case... We didn't think it was bad enough. It's one thing to call something something. Are you allowed to just trademark anything? Can I just be like, bicycle? <laughs> Deal with it. Um, but, you know, of course, Black Twitter was quick to point out that Kim K has been, you know, constantly culture vulturing, appropriating shit from us for years, as Trayvon mentioned earlier. As I said before, when you groaned. He really did. Um, but she, she's been doing it. We know. You know. You remember the, the boxer braids, a.k.a. cornrows? You remember the Fulani braids? And then she was just straight up like, I know they're Fulani braids. I was like, I didn't know they were Fulani braids. How dare you say you did? Um, so now suddenly, like, she's done something that seems more obvious to people, that it's cultural appropriation. And she's got Japanese Twitter coming for her neck, which I really love to see because you know they are thorough. <laughs> But whatever, she could have named it a million things, but whatever, she named it this dumb name, she's trademarking it. I mean, just everybody, put on whatever you want under your sundress, but just look out in the future when she comes out with a line of jewelry called Collard Greens. <laughs> you know, just so many things that she can take from us, but whatever, she's a business person, and I just pray that she's finally found her place in the sun, aka a legitimate basis for that fake-ass tan she's got going on. Let's spin it again. (laughs) 
It has landed on candidate comfort food. Now, I was off last week, okay? And I was trying to disconnect, all right? Spent some time away from the laptop, from the tweets. But then I did see that an intrepid reporter had asked many of the Democratic candidates for what their comfort food is. You know, what do they eat? What is their comfort food? You know, after a hard day, you want to eat something gross? What are they eating? You know, to make themselves feel better. How are they going to love themselves with food? What are the things they use to eat their feelings? Something every human does. <laughs> Something we all do. And I was excited to find out the answers, the relatable answers that would show us that these are, yeah, they're politicians, but they're people just like us. Here are some of the answers. Cory Booker's comfort food was veggies. <laughs> Boo. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's not. And you know what? Yeah, you're vegan, and you like all the great vegans, you make us aware of it. <laughs> I live in Los Angeles, all right? There's plenty of vegan comfort food in the city. There's vegan macaroni and cheese. There's vegan meatloaf. They make anything vegan now. It is 2019. We can wield God's creation into unholy food items. <laughs> Meat made of cashews, it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> Veggies. That's what happens when you don't have a black son. <laughs> <laughs> to wit, Tulsi Gabbard said vegan cupcakes. I'm going to say acceptable. Better or work, any kind of fast food. Acceptable, good answer. I would have liked a more specificity, but you know what? With Beto, we're, we're working our way up. <laughs> Steve Bullock, who was denied a place in the debate, he said a good hamburger. I'll count it. Seth Moulton, a burger. Great answer. John Delaney, grilled chicken sandwich from McDonald's, no sauce, grilled not fried, but he said this, two of them. And you know what? <laughs> I respect that. I respect that. Because any true McDonald's connoisseur knows you get a meal and one little thing. <laughs> Amy Klobuchar said a baked potato, uh, which, as many noted online, you can throw at people. Uh, Michael Bennett said an Italian sausage sandwich at Passkey in Pueblo, Colorado. I'll take it. Bill de Blasio, pulled pork. I'll take it. Andrew Yang, kind bars. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> kind bars are the veggies of the bar community. <laughs> John Hickenlooper said, little bowls of M&Ms or mints. <laughs> so way to go, Loop. You got the weirdest fucking answer. <laughs> little bowls. Like, what a window into another world. Like, how did you make this answer sound so fucking rich? <laughs> little bowls? Like, oh, I'm constantly coming across little bowls. Like, <laughs> of M&Ms. Weird. Jay Inslee said, it was M&M's, but I've taken an oath now to lay off the M&M's to maintain belt security. Uncle Jay. I'll go through all of them. I don't care. Bernie Sanders said, last time out, we did a trip to the West Coast, and I gained three pounds in four days, so it's too much comfort food. You know what? It's not an answer, but it's charming. <laughs> Marion Williamson said, I have no comfort food. <laughs> Fucking... 
A-plus answer. She's like, you fucking earthlings and your inability to manage your human emotions. Because when you're Marianne Williamson, every meal is uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg said, beef jerky. Come on, Pete. <laughs> beef jerky is not comfort food. It's not. It's like the opposite of comfort food. It's what you're supposed to eat on a horse. <laughs> comfort food's what you have when you get back from the week of being on the horse eating beef jerky. It's the stew and the bowl at the ranch. <laughs> to weave a tale about it. Tim Ryan said, I'm an ice cream guy. Kirsten Gillibrand said, a glass of whiskey at the end of the night. So, but this is what I mean. It's like, this is the Gillibrand candidate problem. Almost, but a little off. You're like, I get it, all right, you want a drink, fine, but that wasn't the question. Are you evading the question? Elizabeth Warren said, chips and guacamole. Ah, you know what, that's bias, that's bias. It's fine, but it's not great. It's not comfort food. It's not comfort food. This is California, John. Also, Chip is very upset with you Chip, right now. <laughs> Chip the person Chip is furious. Chip blew a gasket. Kamala Harris said, French fries, good answer, Normal. fine. Get the job done, a little cautious, but we'll take it. I would like to, now Joe Biden just didn't respond. That's his strategy and it's working. Uh, I would like to do the two worst answers. One was Julian Castro who said, iced tea. <laughs> the fuck? It's not a food. <laughs> it's a beverage. It's a beverage. Ah, oh, you know, when I've had a bad day and I want to kind of, you know, chill on the couch and watch the movie, I have a big bowl of iced tea. And then Eric Swalwell said, it's really a comfort coffee. My favorite coffee is a mocha. Is this how we find out that Democratic candidates chew their drinks? <laughs> like, is it... <laughs> and I only... <laughs> yeah, they're chewing their fucking drinks. Eric Swalwell was beamed from, like, 1994 when he had, like, just discovered the coffee house scene. <laughs> you know, he's like, a mocha. Someone was playing an acoustic guitar. <laughs> My comfort mood is a mocha. You're not going to win the Midwest with that shit. <laughs> Every time Love It or Leave It or Pod Save America goes to the Midwest, I gain eight pounds. Not three, not five. I gain eight fucking pounds. You cannot communicate with these people if your comfort food is a cafe latte. Or veggies, Corey. It is unacceptable. Shame on all of you. What would your comfort food be? Oh, wow. Let's judge you, sir. I'm going to tell you a story about what it really means to have comfort food. <laughs> and it's going to a pizza place in West Hollywood alone, ordering the pizza, eating the pizza, walking out of the pizza parlor, realizing it was next door to a Five Guys, walking into the Five Guys, getting a cheeseburger fully fucking loaded, eating that cheeseburger. All right? You don't come at me about comfort food. Love it, 2020. And that's our show. I want to thank Monica Ramirez and support her march. Go to the website. I want to thank Tony Newsom, Trayvon Green, Lester Holt, and Nancy Pelosi. 
Thank you to all of you in the improvs. Have a great night. Peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.